minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
FM in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmdm.org, and of course on the NSN app, a.k.a. Pella from Adaptation with Gam Kielech. The Maccabees, someone told me last night I'm not playing enough of the Maccabees during our uh, Sphere format, so... I guess I gotta correct that. <laughs> Off of uh, Voices from the Heights with Hamalach. Ain Aruch done by Barry Weber. Leif Tahar with Didabe. Astray, that was Bitachon. Shalshelis Jr. with Atayachad. That's a brand new single. Menucha Vesimcha done by the Y Studs. And Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this May 20th, day 12 in the month of ER, the year 5776. and Vav. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas MR. With candle lighting time at 7.51 on this era of Shabbos, 7.51. Lots of synagogues begin earlier than that. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 7.51, official candle lighting time. Sunday is Pesach Sheni. Thursday is Lagba Omer. Ooh, I didn't tell everybody what day it is in the Omer today. 27, correct? Yeah. Today is day number 27 in the counting of the Omer. That is uh, three weeks and six days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so uh, sometime today. JM in the AM with our weather forecast at 56 degrees, 54% humidity, winds are calm. Sunny today with a high of 78. Then tonight, partly cloudy, a low of 51. Tomorrow looks like rain for Shabbos with a high temperature of 64 degrees. Yerushalayim is at... uh, 71 and sunny. We're at 56 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Weekly update just over an hour from now. Malcolm Honline will join us. We'll discuss the events of this week, and there's a lot going on. Uh, Temple Mount activist, as he's known, and I'm sure he wears that um, moniker with pride. Rabbi Yehuda Glick is now a member of Knesset on the Likud list. After this um, Yalon resignation and uh, all the machinations that have been going on over the last couple of days in Israel, we'll discuss that and uh, much, much more as we get into the uh, weekly update here at JM and the AM. Um, all right, so we'll have that for you. Lots of other news items to discuss, many things going on, and we'll try to get to everything during the weekly update segment. Here until 9 o'clock, Naomi Nachman at 9 on jmnam.org and the NSN app, with another great edition of Table for Two. All day long you hear the uh, Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. That happens uh, all through the day from 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Until candle lighting, and there's probably no better way to prepare for Shabbos than with that Erev Shabbos music mix. So um, keep that in mind. Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR with candlelight, and that's outside of Israel. In Israel, it is not Parsha's MR. We're still a Parsha off from our brethren in the Holy Land. Candle lighting time at 7.51, as we said, and a lot of synagogues are earlier than that, so make sure you know when things start in your neighborhood. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. <laughs> it may sound like that tomorrow in this area with the rain and the weather forecast. Mimkomcha uh, done by Miami. They call that around the campfire. Uh, their acapella CD. Friday morning, it's J.M. in the A.M. And I thank you for tuning in. News from Israel will be coming up at the top of the hour. We're here until 9 o'clock. Naomi Nachman with Table for Two at jmtheam.org and on the NSN app coming up at 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, before the Mimkomcha, you heard Tinat Nafshi from Songs of Jerusalem, L'chad Odi from the Hasidic Treasures, Tzvi Silberstein's L'chun Ranana, Kol Mekadesh from Shabbistic Otsros here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 7.51 on this Arab Shabbos Parsha's MR, a different Parsha than they'll be reading in Israel this week. We're still a Parsha off from Israel. Day 27 in the counting of the Omer. That's uh, three weeks and six days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Sunday is Pesach Sheni. Thursday is Lagba Omer. Keep that in mind. 56 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 78 as we said some rain for Shabbos. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 71, 56 here in Jersey City. As we say good morning at JM in the AM. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us at 740 for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Make sure to be tuned in as we go through the events of this week and the news items that will, I don't know, surprise you, shock you, not be surprising. I don't know anymore when it comes to the news. I don't know if there's anything that's surprising anymore. Uh, so we'll analyze all that stuff uh, coming up uh, 7.40 this morning, or by Uden, of course, at 8.15. Plenty more between now and 9 o'clock. And as we said all day long on the stream at jmnam.org. And don't forget, Kedem presents an amazing Arab Shabbos music mix from 10 a.m. Eastern time all the way until candle lighting time. No better way to go into the final Shabbos before Lagba Omer than with our Erev Shabbos music mix. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. I thank everybody for tuning in, no matter where you are, New York, New Jersey, everywhere around the world. I thank those who are commenting on the NSN app. If you have the NSN app, and I hope everybody out there, in fact, does have it already. Uh, both for Android and for uh, and for uh, iPhone. If you have the NSN app, you could actually comment. You'll see on the home page it says "Add a comment," and you can let us know what you're thinking as you listen to our programming. And it would be great to hear from you. Candle lighting at 7:51. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Galat Sal Israel Army Radio 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. Boker Tov from JMNAM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כנהוד גרף עם מה שקורה עכשיו. נשיא המדינה ריבלין מביע תקווה שיעלון יחזור לעשייה פוליטית ואומר התפטרותו מובנת ואולי אפילו ראויה. כתבנו עמוס מוהר. התפטרותו של יעלון מציירת אותי מאוד, נכתב בהודעת הנשיא ריבלין שהוסיף על רקע הנסיבות והאירועים האחרונים פסק הזמן שהוא לוקח מהחיים הפוליטיים מובן ואף אולי ראוי ואם זאת מהווה הפסד לכולנו אני מלא תקווה שהוא יחדש כוחות וישוב לעשייתו בקרוב עבור העם, המדינה והארץ מוקדם יותר הבהיר שר הביטחון הפורש שהוא ישוב להתמודד על ההנהגה הנה דבריו בהצהרה שמסר בקריה בתל אביב אין לי כוונה לעזוב את החיים הציבוריים והפוליטיים במדינה ובעתיד אשוב להתמודד על ההנהגה הלאומית של ישראל לצערי הרב השתלטו על מדינתי וגם על תנועת הליכוד, גורמים קיצוניים ומסוכנים המטלטלים את הבית ומאיימים לפגוע ביושביו. זו לא תנועת הליכוד שהצטרפתי אליה, ומן הראוי שהרוב המכריע של מצביעי הליכוד, ציבור שפוי, יבין את עומק השבר ואת הרוח המתלהמת שמשתלטת על התנועה, ויאבק בתופעות הללו. 
יעלון תקף במרומז גם את ראש הממשלה נתניהו ואמר, מנהיגות צריכה להתוות דרך ולא להיסחף אחרי סקרים. לצערי הרב מצאתי עצמי לאחרונה במחלוקות קשות בסוגיות ערכיות ומקצועיות עם ראש הממשלה, מספר שרים וכמה חברי כנסת. נאבקתי בכל כוחי נגד תופעות של הקצנה, אלימות וגזענות בחברה הישראלית המאיימות על חוסנה ומחלחלות גם לצה"ל וכבר פוגעות בו. לדאבון הלב, פוליטיקאים בכירים במדינה בחרו בדרך של שיסוי והפרדה בין חלקי החברה הישראלית במקום לאחד ולחבר. בתגובה תקפו בסביבת ראש הממשלה את מהלכיו האחרונים של יעלון. כתבנו עידו בן בג'י. מעניין מאוד שיעלון איבד את האמון בראש הממשלה רק כשהבין שלמען הרחבת הממשלה יצטרך לוותר על תיק הביטחון, אמרו מקורבי נתניהו והוסיפו, לפני כן היה לו אמון מלא בראש הממשלה. גם בבית הלבן הגיבו על הדרמה הפוליטית בישראל ואמרו, אנו מעריכים את יעלון ומצפים לשתף פעולה עם אביגדור ליברמן. מדווחת כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי. את מנהיגותו של יעלון כשר ביטחון ומצפים לעבוד בשיתוף פעולה עם מחליפו בתפקיד. כך מסר דובר מחלקת המדינה האמריקנית ג'ון קירבי והוסיף מחויבותנו לביטחון ישראל נשארת מוחלטת וקשרי הידידות בינינו בלתי שבירים. המערכת הביטחונית נערכת מחדש בעקבות חילופי הגברי בלשכת שר הביטחון. אלוף במילואים ישראל זיו, שהיה ראש אגף המבצעים תחת יעלון, אומר, יש סכנה שהבית יקרוס. עידן קבלר שוחח איתו. אחת התקופות הכי רגישות, הכי מורכבות, הכי מפורקות בהיסטוריה הביטחונית של, של מדינת ישראל. אם נכנס איזה פיל בחנות חרסינה לתוך הדבר הזה, אז זה, זה פשוט יכול, הבית הזה יכול לקרוס עלינו. ובשולי הדרמה הפוליטית, סערה סביב הצטרפותו של פעיל הר הבית יהודה גליק לכנסת. יעל כהן פארן מהמחנה הציוני הודיע שתחרים את השבעתו במליאה, וסגן שר האוצר איציק כהן מש"ס האשים את גליק באחריות לגל הטרור. אני מאוד מאוד מצטער על עזיבתו של בוגי יעלון. היה לנו שר ביטחון שקול, מקצועי, ערכי, בצד החיובי. הפסדנו את יעלון, ובצד השמאלי קיבלנו את יהודה גליק. אפשר לשמוע רשומה אינתיפאדת הר הבית. הימין אוהב את ישראל, מאוד אוהב את ארץ ישראל, אבל הוא מחבק אותה כל כך חזק שעלול לשבור לה את המפרקת. מזג האוויר לסוף השבוע, התחממות, ומיום ראשון יעשה שרבי. אלה החדשות שעורך ישי שנרב. בצוות נווה וייס ועמית פומפס.
J.M. in the A.M. L'Chadodi done by uh, the Maccabees. Ari Goldwag's Olenu. You heard Cole Ish with Curry Bone and uh, Cole Zimra uh, with the uh, Achenu selection. More coming up. Keep it right here at J.M. in the A.M. With 613 from their Encore CD with Draw Ye Kra. Well, Fagi Zakheim was with us uh, earlier in the week. We spoke about the uh, Rebitsons Conference, which is happening um, on Tuesday in Borough Park. But there's another event for a very important organization that she can uh, tell us about a wonderful yeshiva, a wonderful school out there that's happening this coming Monday night. It is the second edition, the second annual Culinary for a Cause. Um, Ha'or Beacon School, Yeshiva Or David presents it. It's happening Monday night, this coming Monday night at the Unusual of Avenue K 
in Brooklyn, New York. Features Esther Walby. I don't cook, but I give out recipes. Miriam Pascal, cookbook author, founder of OvertimeCook.com. Sylvia Fallis, health uh, educator and cooking instructor. Jay Booksbaum, vice president of Royal Wines and the world's number one kosher wine sommelier. Uh, Izzy of Izzy's Smokehouse in Crown Heights. And mentalist Mark Garfinkel. It, uh, it will prove to be a very exciting, fun, and amazing evening starting at 7 o'clock this coming Monday night at the Young Israel of Avenue K. Dr. Feige Zakheim, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, Nachum. It is fun to be on this time because who likes to talk about food? Everybody. We Everybody. love talking about food. <laughs> and there'll be, by the way, a beautiful buffet and a dessert table. There'll be plenty to eat this coming Monday night as well. I should have mentioned that. Uh, yeah. why, why don't you first tell us about the Ha'or Beacon School, Yeshiva or David? Ha'or Beacon School. My grandson is a special needs child. His name is Moshe. And if it were not for the Ha'or Beacon School, Moshe would not be the most amazing, well-behaved, socially skilled child that he is. He is just wonderful. Ha'or Beacon is not about bringing up children in masses. It's about individualized attention for each and every child. And it's not about um, cookie-cutter kids. It's about each child getting his own social worker, counseling, OT, PT, every one of them has their own customized program. It is an amazing program. They focus mostly on behavioral issues. Social skills, you know, making sure that a child that has special needs doesn't walk over to somebody and do something inappropriate, doesn't walk over to somebody and give them a shove or give them a punch. And that's behaviorally is a very important part of all of this work, you know, because you, you can treat a child and you can take care of their diagnosis, but if you're not going to put them in a setting where people are comfortable around them, where they can walk up and down the block and play with other children on the block, you've accomplished nothing. So their goal is to make the child be able to interact with other kids on the block and be able to go on a bicycle with them and be able to play games with them and behave in a way that is totally okay. And they're, they, in, the, in the end, we look forward to Moshe being streamlined into a regular school and being able to sit in a class and behave like a regular kid. Dr. Fagi Zakheim is with us. We spoke about the school last year when the first event took place. Uh, is it larger now? Are they able to accommodate more? How does it work? Oh, so last year, so now we're talking about the event. We're not talking about Moshe and R anymore. I'm asking about the school, if the school's been able to, to service more kids and to, and to grow. That's what I'm asking. Oh, so yeah, they're doing very, very well. They, they, they're growing together. They have, thank God, they have people, families that are very devoted to their children. That's another thing. They don't only focus, I love this part, they don't only focus on the child, they focus on the parents being able to work together with their children. So I was really lucky last year because my grandson is in the school. They asked me to do a support group for the mothers mm -hmm. in the school. Right. And we had a support group going on once a month for the moms so that moms who have children with behavioral issues were able to sit together and say, you know what my kid did? I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. And then another mother would say, oh, it's okay. This is what you need to do. You need to just calm down. And she was giving her the answers. Right. The support group themselves were giving each other the answers. Mm -hmm. The, the nice part is that they integrate the whole family. And do they have the space to do it? They're doing it. They're doing it. We built a beautiful playground, gorgeous, in memory of Shlomo, Zachheim. Wow. And it's, it's high quality. It's top rate. It's high tech. It's really a beautiful playground. I don't wish on anybody to have to have a child to go to, a, to our beacon, 
But if one has a child that is special needs, it's the only place to go. Ha'ar Beacon School, Yeshiva R. David, presents Culinary for a Cause Number 2, a Chinese auction and evening with the stars of kosher food media that benefit the children of Yeshiva R. David. It happens this coming Monday night at the Unusual of Avenue K, 2818 Avenue K in Brooklyn, starting at 7 p.m. We ran through the lineup. Uh, Fagy, tell everybody why this is such an exciting event. Well, besides the demonstrations and the cooking, which I would love because I don't know, I just don't know how to cook. And I remember last year actually learning how to make an omelet or something <laughs> that they were teaching. But besides the cooking, you don't know, you don't know what it was great. or something. I don't even know what it was. <laughs> For me, it's just like cool pomegranate, which reminds me, the prizes that they are giving out are unbelievable at this auction. For the, I mean, I was looking at them last night. I, I'm going. Last year, I was. It was beautiful. The people there were great. Because I think you don't need to spend $100 on a raffle ticket. If you spend $10 on a raffle ticket, you can end up with tickets for the Bronx Zoo. You can end up with tickets for the Children's Jewish Museum. You can end up with a $200 gift for jewelry. If you spend $30, you can end up with $2,000 on your American gift cards for $30. You know, and the people that were winning were great. And for $20, you get $1,000 of shopping at pomegranates or $1,500 of jewelry for Molly's. Or $1,200 at Grand Sterling. For $20, Nachum, you could end up with $1,200 at Grand Sterling. Wow. Do you realize what that could buy you? For $20, you can have $1,000 put on your Visa credit card. For $20. And people were winning. They were jumping out of their chairs while they were eating food. I mean, what could be better? Food, money, you know. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm not worried about all the alcoholism in the world. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a good time. It's a really great time. The ladies are having fun. It's just a lot of fun. They're giving away for $10. You can get matching sunglasses, Prada sunglasses, with you and your husband, or with you and Stacey, Nachum. You there and Stacey can have Prada matching sunglasses. I think she was thinking of actually going to the event, if I'm not mistaken. She should definitely come. She would love it. Stacey yeah. would love it. Tell her for 15 Are you ready for this one? This is my favorite. Yeah. For $15, she can get a Michelle watch. And better yet, you and Stacey can have a night at the St. Regis Hotel. All right. Tell me that's not good. Wonderful. Or for $15, she can get an Apple Watch. I mean, I was going through this stuff, and I'm thinking, let me get there really early, because the, the <laughs> prices are just so good that I can do more than one $10 or more than one $15. Well, I don't know. One, with, with me the, winning... The, with the big me. one. They have the really, really big one. Yeah, go ahead. The big one, yeah. The big one is very exciting. The big one is a KMR vacation, five days, four nights. Wow. And it, it, the idea in mind for this was that parents need a vacation. Mm -hmm. So that one is... Um, we sponsored that for Shlomo because Shlomo loved KMR. He just loved it so much. So we sponsored the flight going there. And um, who doesn't want to get to go to KMR? And that, for that one, it's also Florida vacations. It's really good. And that one has a $2,000 American Express card. Really great stuff. It's, All right. just, it's just amazing stuff. I'll see you there, Nachum. Let me remind everybody, the Ha'ar Beacon School and Yeshiva R. David present Culinary for a Cause Number 2, a Chinese auction evening with the stars of Kosher Food Media, Esther Walby, Miriam Pascal, Sylvia Fallis, Jay Booksbaum, Izzy of Izzy Smokehouse, Mark Garfinkel. There'll be live demonstrations, a great buffet, a dessert table. Uh, auction viewing begins at 7. The cooking demonstrations begin at 8. They'll draw all the prizes starting at 10.30. It's this coming Monday night at the Young Israel of Avenue K. Information, 
3650. That's 718 951 3650. You can actually download the entire auction booklet at haorbeacon.com, H A O R Beacon.com. The booklet is available there. And you can also go online, culinaryforacause.com, culinaryforacause.com. See everything there and take care of uh, what you want to contribute and what you want to uh, uh, purchase regarding tickets for the auction. There are separate floor viewings for men and women. It all happens this coming Monday night starting at 7 p.m. at the Young Israel of Avenue K in Brooklyn, New York, to benefit the children of Yeshiva or David. All right, sounds like a very exciting event. Nothing. They actually threw in an extra, an extra special coupon because I was on last year, and a lot of the ladies came from listening to JM in the AM. All right. So you get a 10% off discount for, for, for calling JM in the AM. You mean if they mention JM in the AM when they call? If they mention, if they just mention JM in the AM, all they have to do is, sorry, Nahum, I know you don't want a million phone calls. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to figure out what you're talking about. <laughs> all they have to do is mention JM in the AM, and they get a 10% discount. All right, listen to this, folks. Being a listener of this show has just saved you some money. How do you like that? Call the number at 718-951-3650. Mention JM in the AM, you're entitled to a discount, as Faggy just outlined. 718 718- I mention? Uh, did I mention about the car, the two-year lease on a car? Oh, that's pretty cool. I know. I'm telling you, KMR, two-year car lease, or the Ritz, Nachum, you can start doing your radio show at 10 o'clock in the morning after you're done with this place. What kind of car is that? Does it say uh, that? You're asking a or, woman what kind of car it is. Or is it any? Or is it, drive it. Or is it you know? Oh, it's one of those that you drive. <laughs> like the, like the yeah, ones like the ones we have out back in the parking lot, like that type of car. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yes, it's one of those that you drive. Seven one eight. I'm yep. sorry. Seven one eight nine five one three six five zero. Go to uh, the website Haar Beacon. Excuse me, culinaryforacause dot com. Culinaryforacause culinaryforacause dot com. It's a great website to go to. Everything is on there. All these prizes. It's fun just to look at the prizes. You know. And, the Apple Watch was there. It's great. And this great. is this is all Monday night at the Unusual of Avenue K. On Tuesday night, we know you're a lead. Uh, Tuesday, rather Tuesday, you're leading the 17th annual Rebitsons Conference. How's registration going for that? It's going very well. The radio show helped a lot. Nachum oh, Rebitsons heard about the program and about the alcohol issue, and they want to talk to their husbands about it because the Rebitsons are the ones that need to hear it. And they, they will save our community. We will really move forward, and we will deal with this issue in a way that is very appropriate. All right, so Tuesday, if you're a Rebidson out there, uh, register for the conference. It's Tuesday starting at 1130 at Kahal Hasidim on 15th Avenue in Brooklyn. The phone number for that one is 212-613-8188, 212-613-8188. You can also go to the website, OUcommunity.org, and register online. Dr. Fagi Zakheim, a lot of great events going on. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Nachum, I don't know how you do it. You are amazing. You are my model. You wake up in the morning, you sound so alive, and you're ready to go. You're just, you are an amazing person, and you hold the entire community together. You know, you do auctions, you do schools, special needs schools, and you do everything. You're amazing, Nachum. You're th- just amazing. I thank you very much. And Regards to your amazing wife, Stacey, and I, your wonderful children. I appreciate that she's probably listening right now, smiling ear to ear. So thank you very, Thanks. very much. I'll see you Monday night. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Faye. Give a wonderful Shabbos. <laughs> there she is, Dr. Faye Zakheim. Monday night is the Culinary for a Cause in Brooklyn. Tuesday is the Rebitsons Conference in Brooklyn, New York. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM with candlelighting at 7.51. It's day 27 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Sunday is Pesach Shani. Thursday is Lagba Omer. Um, keep all that in mind. Candlelighting at 7.51.
Many synagogues begin early. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Erev Shabbos Parshas MR in Israel. It is not Parshas MR, but outside of Israel it is. Still a Parsha off. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. There's news to discuss. We'll do that with him coming up at JM in the AM.
format a cappella style. Logbomer's Thursday, keep that in mind. We'll be preempting our programming all through the day so that we can present as much great music as possible on Thursday to celebrate Logbomer. Keep that in mind. We'll remind you as we get closer and closer to Thursday. Uh, that was from 8th Day. Before that, Yehuda Solomon with Vishamru off of Shabbos a cappella. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, day 27 in the counting of the Omer. Parsha's Emor this Shabbos, at least outside of Israel it is. Candle lighting at 7.51. Make sure you know when things start where you are. A lot of synagogues begin earlier than 7.51. Sunday is Pesach Sheni. Thursday is Lag Baomer, 56 degrees. Sunshine, a high of 78. Looks like rain for Shabbos Day. Uh, right now, 71 in Yerushalayim, 56 here in Jersey City. Want to say good morning to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, and we recommend everybody check them out on a daily basis. They continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible live stream to their readers, and we recommend the amazing array of thousands of articles that they post so that you can uh, enjoy and learn about what's happening in this world of ours. also want to thank our friends at OnlySimchas.com who include a lot of our content in their amazing brand new news feed. If you have loved what they've done with engagements and weddings and bar mitzvahs and brisson and graduations and everything else over the years, 
Check out what OnlySimchas.com now does regarding news stories from the Jewish world. I think you'll find it interesting and intriguing. And we thank them. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We call this the Weekly Update Fridays at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Right now it looks like we need to do hourly updates, <laughs> given the way things are happening. News is going on so quickly that hourly updates may not even be sufficient. Is there any indication, I know that uh, you know, as we casually read the news, I guess it seems like it's 50-50 at this point. Nobody knows for sure either way. But is there anything you could tell us about this Egypt Air flight uh, that went down yesterday, uh, whether in fact it's the result of a terror attack or not? Well, we don't know for sure, but the indications are that it was a terror attack and the assumption that they're all operating on and the uh, signs from the discussions from the cockpit up until right before the disappearance off the radar of the plane would indicate that it was a, a terrorist act. Remember the plane had been in Tunisia that day, and it was in Paris only, I think, 90 minutes on the ground, uh, and was exposed during that time uh, to any kind of uh, ground crew, uh, tenant, attendant, uh, passenger, somebody who managed to bypass the security. And, you know, that I know in that French airport, they did a scrutiny earlier in the year, and I think 83 people were removed for suspicious ties to extremist groups. And uh, it's one of the dangers is that, uh, you know, airports, while even under scrutiny and under with close um, uh, security surveillance and, and controls, it's very vulnerable. Uh, you know, what we're used to as uh, Americans who uh, who travel and, you know, and, and witness and experience the whole airport experience. Uh, so we're used to what I would call, you know, pretty close monitoring. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, I would guess it's not like that in every airport around the world. It's certainly not in every airport. And, um, you know, we've seen the explosions where people walk into airports uh, in Belgium and we had it in you had in Egypt the shooting down of a plane over the Sinai, which was probably a, a rocket fired by uh, ISIS or, or other terrorist entities there. Uh, so Egypt has been a target, and the um, but but even our own uh, TSA crews and stuff when they've done the surveys of them, they found many had criminal records, many were uh, suspect themselves. So it's it's very hard in in these. In a big operation like this, if there isn't uh, a much better uh, effort to, to screen out people and to build perimeter defenses, everybody's vulnerable. Yeah, uh, We'll get to what's happening in Israel in just a moment. I just want to ask you a couple of things regarding uh, uh, sanctions against uh, Iran and then something about Israel regarding uh, what's happening here in the United States. Uh, the Texas governor has, um, he says he's, he will not be lifting sanctions on Iran. And I was wondering, if, I was wondering, is, is that only symbolic because states have very little say or activity when it comes to a relationship with Iran? Or is this much more significant in terms of the you know, financial category? No, it is significant. And there are about 20 states that have passed such legislation, and to my knowledge, not one has acceded to the request from the State Department that they 
rescind those uh, the, the, those pieces of legislation and restrictions uh, because the states have huge pension funds that invest in many companies. They also do business with companies uh, of all kinds. Uh, you know, each state does many billions of dollars in business, and those who are thinking about doing business with Iran are going to think twice if they think that it will preclude them from being able to do business with the states. So, so number one, it is significant. Number two, the Iranians have made it significant. They said that under the deal, uh, the secondary sanctions should have been removed uh, as well. And they have uh, raised this issue in saying, well, the United States has not lived up to its commitments as long as those things. That is not part of the commitment in the state, and the federal government doesn't have the right to control it. And third, this is the real uh, test of the fact that this is not a treaty, this is not uh, something that was voted on, uh, that might say that the federal uh, legislation supersedes state legislation, uh, because... It was never voted. As you remember, the vote right. in the Senate and the House were, was against the bill. Uh, they pulled off a, a maneuver, but it's, it's not something that was uh, voted up, and therefore um, states are not bound by it. And, and uh, I think also when you look at the record and you see how even in recent days Iran is violating in every possible way the, in terms of the spirit, the letter, they say that they have no spirit of the law. Well, they do have obligations, and we've seen now their continued effort to undermine uh, uh, governments and to to uh, expand their terrorist uh, network, their support for Hezbollah, increasing activities in Iraq, where we see much more. Um, many other things c- coming from Iran, um, and th- th- they crack down domestically, by the way, against the protests that were going on there against corruption, and you don't read about it, but they, they this, you know, the, the, the so-called moderate government of Rouhani, who was called both in Rhodes Peace and Wendy Sherman, who was the chief U.S. negotiator until earlier in the year, both said that, in fact, they knew that this is an extremist regime and Rouhani was being portrayed as a moderate, was really a subterfuge, one could say. If you look at the number of executions since Rouhani came into power in 2013, 2,300 men and 66 women were ex- executed, many in public. 2,300, you said? 2,300 men and 66 women. Wow. And this is far more than under Ahmadinejad and all of the, quote, hardliners and right, you know, extremists. This is an extremist government. And Rouhani is no different. He just knows how to put a better face on it and a better... They, they crack down uh, on, on um, the dress code. They put 7,000 more morality police in the streets, plainclothes uh, police, who can, if you, if your murka isn't adjusted right, if other things, they can arrest you. And there's a, a growing backlash uh, against it. So, but, but the point is that Iran is violating the the deal, and this is one of the strong messages that we can send. Is that and, and Secretary Kerry, as you know, has been trying to promote Europeans to to do business, and again did it. Uh, in the last uh, the day or so, where the and, and Secretary Liu and others have uh, tried to push the idea that that uh, the sanctions, that the bank shouldn't, European bank shouldn't feel restricted from signing agreements that they can do business through American banks. The, the banks don't want to do business. Stuart Levy wrote a terrific op-ed piece. He used to be the Under Secretary who developed all these sanctions. He's now the 
Council of HSBC, but Deutsche Bank, Standard Charter, all of them said, we're not doing business with them because the banks are corrupt. The banks are tied to terrorism. The banks are tied to money laundering. And they said, clean up your act. Don't come and put the onus on us. You clean up your act. And to try and whitewash this and telling the banks, don't worry, we're not going to prosecute you. We're not going to do anything to you. Why should they be supporting a corrupt Iranian banking system which, as we all know, is is tied to terrorism and that yeah. good part of the economy is in the hands of of IRGC and the regime. I get that, but there there have been times, relatively recently, where banks have been you know discovered doing business with Iran when they weren't allowed to. So it's not and, like and they pay a very heavy price, and that's another one of the issues. Exactly, is that they they know that they've put, that billions have been paid in fines, and they don't want to be subject to the fines again, and they don't know what the next administration, what Congress could enact. So they are not um, uh, going to take that chance. Yeah, I mean, they might be hedging their bets. It may, it may not be a, a benevolent move. <laughs> it may be more of a, uh, of a, you know, let's see what's going to happen in the White House and, and what the, you know, and what the uh, atmosphere is going to be in yeah, Washington. I, I'm not saying suggesting the banks are doing head of moral reasons. Right. I'm <laughs> saying they're doing it for very practical considerations. Right. Understood. But, but some of them have said you know, that their objections. And, you know, when, when people tell us, well, you see, they're acting more restrained, just look at what happened this week, you know, with the killing of, of um, uh, Berjardine. Right. And this was the leading terrorist who right. took over for Imad Mugnia, who was killed in 2008 in the car bombing, and, and he was the chief. By, by the way, a week later, looking less like it was Israel responsible for it, but... No, knows? Israel's not. It does not look like right. Israel was responsible, though, call it a vote to whoever did it. Right. But the, the here is the guy who was in charge of, the, uh, of all the Hezbollah operations in Syria. He was in charge of uh, operations in the, of, of the military of the Hezbollah, and he's he got killed at Damascus Airport in some sort of a bombing, mortar. Everybody's accusing everybody else of, of doing it because he had so many enemies. He was wanted by the International Criminal Court for, for the killing of, um, of Lebanon's President Hariri mm-hmm. uh, and for many, many other things. The U.S. wanted him. Everybody wanted him. And uh, 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 the interesting thing is, so this successor was going to be his, uh, uh, the son of Imad, who, who was his nephew, uh, Mustafa um, Mugnia, was going to be the successor, and they announced it. And then all of a sudden, Suleiman, who's the head of the Quds forces of the IRGC, and probably the most important figure because he controls Iran's operations in Syria, Lebanon, etc., um, came to Lebanon and appointed a guy named Fuad Shukar, uh, who was one of the founders of Hezbollah with the um, um, Badruddin and, and Mugnia, he announced that he's the successor. Right. Dismissed this, the, the, the nephew, everything else, which right. just tells you how much they control the decisions that are made. Right. Even of Hezbollah, internally, because in the past, there was always Hezbollah officials who made these decisions. And, and I assume that that directive comes from Iran eventually, right? Uh, completely. Right. He, uh, strictly from Iran. Right. It was Iran coming in there and saying, we're going to pick the guy. And and Hezbollah obviously has no choice, right. um, and that that is exactly the point: is that you see the degree to which Iran Kerry supposedly told the foreign minister of of Saudi Arabia, Adel Jabir, that they intercepted four ships last month carrying weapons from Iran to Houthis in Yemen. Meaning the U.S. intercepted. U.S. intercepted four ships carrying weapons, and again I, we could cite cite you example after example of. 
of what is happening in terms of Iran's expanded efforts and activities in each of the area in each of the countries that uh, that they target specifically giving orders now for Hezbollah to focus on Saudi Arabia to attack Saudi Arabia even more than Israel and to um, to allay the resources uh, against the Saudi targets they are moving all the time in in this aggressive and, and, and hostile way and to whitewash that and to to try and portray it as if they're you know in compliance and therefore we should encourage them they have to live up to the to the letter of the spirit and to stop the activities which are in fact quite the opposite just uh uh, just expanding. All right, we'll get to the new Knesset in just a second. One last thing before that. Uh, could you give us this update and explain what's happening with the Methodist Church and BDS? So the Methodist Church, like other Protestant churches, in particular mainline Protestant churches, uh, have been flirting and, and uh, working on resolutions. It, often it, it's elements within the church, and they have a, a national equivalent of the National Convention that comes together a few years, and there was a slew of resolutions uh, that were introduced to support the church boycotting uh, Israeli products and joining in, uh, in essentially falling prey to the BDS movement. And in fact, uh, these resolutions did not pass, and there was a vote that was taken by, and it's a, a complicated structure, so I'm not going to go into the details about the finance committees and other committees, Uh uh, but they voted to withdraw from an association with one of the BDS movements uh, because they said it was too one-sided, too anti-Israel, and uh, vote overwhelmingly to sever their ties with that particular group. Unfortunately, they still get a lot of votes in this, and it's an extensive effort. We see it throughout the churches, and even now amongst some of the evangelical churches, we are seeing an erosion amongst the younger people. Uh, there's an active effort to bring young evangelicals to to the West Bank and to inf- and to influence them and to you know at least to try to get them to not to be anti-Israel but to be balanced and to say there's two sides so they don't do the Knights down or Israel right. and something that's of great concern and the uh, degree of infiltration into the to the church groups uh, is very serious they're doing it in unions and others people we always focus on the campus because that's the front line right. but as I said it affects every sector of society. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmdm.org, and of course on the NSN app, where I see some people continue to comment regarding the broadcast, which we appreciate, or at least generally appreciate. So we have a new Knesset. Um, the uh, the negotiations, it seems, between Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, Yitzhak Herzog did not go too well. He moved on to uh, to his new defense minister, Defense Minister Lieberman, who's going to be uh, in this new configured government. I believe now he ends up with a with a coalition of sixty five seats. Is that the final total as of now? It's sixty seven. It's sixty seven. It's six additional to the 61 he had, so that's 67. Uh, six well, first seats. of all, it's not a change in the Knesset. It's a change in the, in the government, in the right. coalition within the Knesset. Nothing changed in the Knesset except that uh, Boogie Alon, the current defense minister or outgoing defense minister, resigned today from the Knesset and from the government. Why am I under the impression that one of uh, Lieberman's party members left uh, after this uh, arrangement? 
Well, but it doesn't, even if anybody leaves, it doesn't change the numbers. They replace them with the next person in line. It's it's the party seat. It's not Gotcha. All right. So we, so we have a total of 67. Okay, gotcha. So, Go ahead. Yeah, so, so he resigns. 67. And, um, and he did start the negotiations, and they, they have been going on, it seems, for some time. Uh, uh, the, the former Labor Party, the Zionist Union uh, leader led by um, uh, Yitzhak Herzog, Bushy Herzog, um, faced an internal rebellion left by, led by Yachimovich, as he said, and also external problems. Uh, and uh, he, I think he wanted very seriously to bring him into the government. As you see in the polls, their numbers are collapsing. And it, uh, the talks obviously didn't go the way they wanted, and he turned to... Um, and, and there was a danger that if he brought in the Zionist Union... Some of the members of the current government would have resigned and would have left. And Netanyahu, therefore, turned to Lieberman, who just a month ago was criticizing, attacking him, uh, and pretty consistently over the years, to come in. And his demand was that he get the defense ministry. I think he wanted to keep Yalom and have him be the foreign minister, but that is not what uh, what he demanded in return. All right, so Lieberman... So Lieberman's the new defense minister. Likely, it's not it's not signed and sealed yet, but it's most likely. And um, and uh, Netanyahu, the prime minister, felt this was necessary because he was holding a coalition essentially of sixty one seats, and every time a vote came up or any times any type of uh, every individual could hold him hostage. Right, exactly. Vote would mean that he could lose. And that's essentially what was going on. So uh, there are people who are not happy with this. There are people who are both in Israel and outside of Israel. Who would have preferred if he would not have made a deal with Lieberman? Uh, yes, and there are, you know, a lot of people were stunned. A lot of people are confused by it. That they, they don't know if this is a band-aid. Is this a, a temporary move? Does it really buy him the margin that he needs and wants to, um, you know, to be able to govern more effectively by having these six votes inside the coalition? Uh, they are more or less politically attuned, although. Uh, Lieberman had certain demands, like the death penalty for terrorists, and et cetera. And and uh, Yalom's parting comments are, are no doubt pretty harsh. It, it 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 doesn't add to the image of stability, et cetera. And uh, Yalom had developed very close ties with Ash Carter, our Secretary of Defense, and with the military establishment here. Uh, they said today that they're looking forward. U.S. officials they're looking forward to working with the new Defense Minister, whoever that may be. And uh, will not get caught in this, and, the, I, and it is true the relationship is entrenched, and it, it uh, doesn't change whether the secretaries of defense change. Yeah, but they can't. Everybody be, thinks it's a disaster. But they can't be too be too happy. No, they're not happy in Washington. They're more confused than than unhappy. And I know how many calls I got yesterday morning saying, "Well, what does this mean? What is this from officials and others?" Um, it, 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 look, it's part of the instability of the Israeli political system that really needs reforming, uh, that puts every prime minister uh, virtually at risk at times, and governments fall. You know, the average life of a government in Israel is two and a half years. The average uh, term for a, for a leader of Likud is actually very long. I think they've only had four or five leaders since its inception. The Labor Party changes leaders, I think, on average every two years or every three years. Uh, so th- there are a lot of problems within the system. And when you have, you know, the list system, it, it puts a prime minister who has to form a coalition government because nobody ever gets 
61 seats in his own party yeah. to have a majority in the Knesset. How did Yalon get, I just don't remember, how did he get the job to begin with as defense minister? Well, he was chief of staff, and he was uh, a prominent member in Likud. He, he is highly regarded within Likud, um, and was a natural choice for it. And uh, these episodes where he encouraged uh, high-ranking IDF officials to quote-unquote express themselves, and of course the Chevron situation, and then the, uh, the um, uh, I forgot what position he was holding, the one who compared Israel to... Um, the deputy uh, chief of staff. Deputy chief of staff, and he ran to his defense, or, or I should say more, you know, he ran to explain uh, you know, what he really meant, etc., etc. So all these things, I guess... You know, built up after a while, and uh, I would assume the prime minister just couldn't tolerate well, it. Well, there were some in Likud who, for a long time, uh, I'm friendly, very friendly with the uh, the outgoing minister, uh, and uh, I think he's he's a very intelligent guy, and he's, he's been very supportive of the relationships, etc. Um, but there were a lot, there were people in Likud who all along sniped at him, felt that he was, you know, not uh, of the right. Um, I think that generally his, he, he was regarded as a good minister of defense and a good chief of staff. He's, um, uh, and you're bringing in somebody who really has no experience in the military, has never, you know, wasn't a commander, et cetera. The, most of the people who, who have been, I think the only one before him was Amir Peretz, mm. who was, uh, well, Shimon Peretz was also a minister of defense. Both of them did a very good job. So I guess he can as well. Uh, the question is, A, how long the government lasts. B, B needs to try to put together a coalition. That's what he wants that can last till 2018 when the next elections take place. I don't know there are many people who would bet on how long that will, in fact, be. Yeah, I understand that. Um, so there was this French-sponsored summit that was supposed to take place. Why did this appear in the news cycle out of nowhere? I didn't. <laughs> I assume you knew about it, but... I don't think the average person knew that there was supposed to be some type of, I guess, a peace summit, right? Well, I did talk about it on the show, about the, that it was <laughs> uh, boiling, and, and um, it was certainly on the stove, and they finally announced the date, uh, which turned out to be Memorial Day, so, the, so Kerry said he wouldn't come, and they've rearranged it. Now Kerry said he will attend uh, a, a rescheduled uh, conference. It's an attempt by France to be relevant. It's attempt to them to be in the center of the action. Is it against the move against the U.S. in part? Yes, against the U.S. leadership. Uh, they say, look, we're filling the void. This is really a good move. We're not going to develop the borders there. I mean, uh, this is what French officials have told me. Um, but in fact, this is, again, a bailout of, of uh, Abbas that he doesn't have to negotiate, that he doesn't have to sit down and make concessions, he doesn't have to talk to the Israelis. Uh, I, I spoke yesterday with Dory Golden, and in the discussion he used the line that, that he wants land without peace. Right. And that's that the core is that he doesn't want to negotiate, and this everything like this says to him, you don't have to, don't worry about it. We're going to bail you out one way or another. The international community will put the pressure only on Israel. That an outgoing president will put the pressure on Israel. That somebody will 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 you know keep the uh, the uh, Israel under the gun to make concessions even before they come to the to the talks. People are already um, putting out um, uh, positions. And they're saying, look, we won't lay out the parameters. Although many people think maybe President Obama might, after November, if if there isn't a resolution, then maybe a speech. But certainly, something is going to uh, is going to be forthcoming even from the U.S. on this. 
U.S. did not support, didn't like the idea of the French thing. They tried to discourage it. But some have told me, look, if, if this is going to be a good diversion uh, to avoid support for a Palestinian resolution now, which, you know, they wanted to reduce and it's been put on the side, and that could be more dangerous than force a U.S. veto if it is, in fact, violative of, of U.S. standards. The danger is what if they come up with a resolution that essentially quotes the president and picks up some of the statements that he's made and tries to show the United States they can't uh, veto, maybe they'll abstain. So it's a very, it's a time of great flux because this, the, um, there are many options about what could be done. So the French uh, conference, which will not include Israel or the Palestinians, it's going to include the Arab countries and others, is supposed to create the conditions, and they say, for direct negotiation. Right. Now you saw that, that President Sisi came out this week and said that he would help mediate, that he would help, but, but talked about direct negotiations between the parties, that they would foster it and that it would create warmer ties with Egypt and with the Arab world for Israel. Everybody and wants to help Israel. It's amazing. Would, would the French have been this aggressive about this summit if, not, if it would not be the final year of the Obama administration? Well, they want, as I said, if, if it's to project themselves into the region and if it's to take advantage of the fact that America has, is seen as having withdrawn and um, and it's also driven by the foreign ministers. And, and look, the positions taken by the French government, they supported that UNESCO resolution, uh, which changed the names of all the holy places and removed the Jewish names and just left the Muslim names. They, Germany, others all voted, Britain voted against it, and France voted for it. Now they're apologizing, and they've written us. They've issued statements saying that, that it was a mistake. We shouldn't have done it. The president said it. The foreign minister said it. The prime minister said it. But the fact is, that, so we said to them, then rescind it. Move to rescind it. As long as it's on the books, future generations will all pay the price when we're excluded from the Temple Mount, from the Kotel, from the Rachel's tomb, because you guys all declared it only a Muslim holy place. And you voted for it in the international body, in, in the U.N., in UNESCO. And when uh, we're still pressing, we're not going to give up until they rescind it. But the fact is that that you see that France and they said it was a mistake, it was miscommunication. It was they didn't know they they weren't there that day. They were, yeah, but whatever. If, but if but if we weren't facing a new presidency in this country, it, it, or or uh, yes, it makes us more vulnerable. But it's not the reason I think for for it happening. By the way, back to Lieberman for a second. There are those who continue to ask, uh, including among our listeners, whether this is going to make uh, Israel more aggressive when it comes to, you know, the possibility of uh, attacking Iran, so to speak, or no. just, just in general, the threats that may come out of Israel toward its neighbors. I mean, I don't know if Bibi can control everything that Lieberman says in a public forum. He can't control him, but, but Lieberman, in many respects, is not such a hardliner. He, he does demand the death penalty, and, and um, but he has favored negotiations. So, no, I don't believe that there will be any radical change, and it is the prime minister, ultimately, who makes these decisions. He, he's the one who will set the tone, who will, and while there could be conflicts, as we saw and always see in Israel, every minister thinks he's a prime minister, right. but, the, uh, but the fact is that it's the prime minister who makes the decision. I've got to ask you this, because it's been, there's been so much discussion about it and articles written this week. I mean, there are those who are claiming that Bibi really duped John Kerry in this case, and that uh, his intention the entire time was to 
get to a point where he could form this coalition, but essentially say to the U.S. and the world, look, I tried. I tried to, you know, I tried to form a government or to expand this government with the, with the parties that you want, but look, it's impossible to do so. Is he that clever? Is he such a great backroom politician that, in fact, one can view this as duping the United States? I don't know. I wasn't in the back room, but I think <laughs> BB is very clever, very smart. Uh, but I, I, this uh, the talks with um, Herzog actually started, from what I've heard now, months ago. So I don't think it's a response to that. I thought you were going to ask is there other reports that the U.S. and others conspired, even with um, uh, President Sisi, that to push. Uh, Herzog get to get the government to to be expanded with the Zionist Union with the la- uh, former Labor Party. Well, weren't they it. weren't they actively and campaigning? Resp- and that BB's uh, actions actually, you know, sh- short circuited that effort. Right. I mean, they were actively campaigning for that. No. You know, in a quiet way, because if they do it actively, you know, the people of Israel will reject it completely. Yeah. Well, I mean, actively, they, but they quietly. Reject their Labor Party as it is now. You see that they're down in the polls to 13 seats, though. We know that doesn't necessarily mean what the outcome would be, and there are deep divisions in the Labor Party. And if they were more open in it, it would certainly backfire. And we don't know. I don't know that it's in fact true, but it's certainly plausible. All right, so the French summit, which will not include Israel, will not include the PA, is going to be now when? What's the new date, or is there They no, haven't set the date. No new date yet. No. Um, the, uh, the, uh, and by the way, the president of Israel... Uh, Ruby Rivlin expressed great regret that Yalon is leaving the government. Yes, well, you know that his relationship with Netanyahu was bad, that Netanyahu didn't support him for the presidency originally. So, um, you know, there's always been a tension in their relationship, and he has made comments that, um, let's say, differed somewhat from, I think, the line the prime minister takes. Mm. Did they get along when they're in public? Uh, they try to, yes. Oh, interesting. I have to pay much more careful attention. Senator Charles Schumer announced Senate passage of the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act and urged the House to quickly follow suit. Prior to its passage, he called for unanimous consent to pass the bill in the Senate floor. The bill has, long, has been long sought after by families of 9-11 to bring a small amount of justice for the loss of their loved ones by allowing them to sue foreign states and financial partners of terrorism. Now, am I right or wrong that the White House was against this? Against the legislation, yes. And the president has threatened to veto it. And that's what's going to happen eventually? Because I assume it's going to pass the House, right? Yeah, the House would be easier to pass it. So he's going to veto it. And and the reason he's going to veto it essentially is just not to, not a slap, so it won't be a slap in the face of Saudi Arabia? Yes. And, well, look, we we have to look at the total picture on um, about the Saudi Arabia and the, the, there are a couple issues. One is the release of the 29 pages report about 9-11. Saudi Arabia is adamant against it. They, uh, many uh, Brennan, the former head of CIA, said there's a lot of inaccuracies and it's uh, hearsay, it's accusations. Um, Bob Graham, who was then a senator and I think the head of the Intelligence Committee or, or on it, who has said he has read it and he thinks that it should be released, that there's information there. Um, the question of Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11 certainly has been the subject of a lot of speculation right. for, for years. So that has become a big debate. It's about the, the release of those, um, of those documents, which could be accusatory of, uh, of Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia has continued funding of some of the extremist groups. Uh, you know, they fund uh, today uh, the, the war against the Houthis and the fighting in, in Syria by rebels. 
but their financial situation has changed with the drop in oil prices, uh, though not to the point where they're, uh, I would say, uh, hurting uh, personally, but, but certainly in their collective budget has had to be re- readjusted, and they're talking now about moving away an energy-based economy, uh, something that would have a certain radical impact. So the resolution, the fear is, and, and the Saudis have said that this will impact the relationship. Hmm. Very interesting. What's the uh, Middle East reaction, you think, to the changes in the Israeli government? Do countries like Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states care that the uh, the defense post is now held by a more right-wing uh, politician? Again, I'm not sure what you know how we define what's more right wing or left you know in, right. in this context, but they want to see Israel strong, and they believe that because the West has proven so weak, that's part of the attraction is that that's when Munia was uh, when uh, Berdadin was killed they they reacted very positively because they thought you know that Israel pulled off this precision strike and that this was uh, right. again a you know a great accomplishment. Uh, and they they talk openly of of their admiration and respect for that part of for Israel. So whether it's more right wing, left right wing doesn't impact them. They want to know what the policy is, and is Israel committed still to making sure Iran doesn't get a nuclear weapon, which is their great fear. That is the obsessive uh, danger to Saudi Arabia, to the Gulf, to Bahrain, and other countries, uh, and ISIS, which is increasing its activities in um, in in many areas, including in Iraq, where they. Um, uh, you know, carried out four bombings in open-air markets just in the last week. They killed 150 people and claimed more than 500 in the capital in less than a month. They We, we see their activities expanding also in, um, in in other areas, but their horrendous activities. They killed these Ethiopian Christians and made films. They burnt their churches. They burned 45 of their own guys alive for trying to flee a, a, a battle with the, the Kurds and, uh, and a family of five. You know, people forget because I guess we get so used to their barbaric methods and the, and the fact that they behead and they engage in other kinds of of uh, killings on a on a regular basis. And Al Qaeda now, not to be outdone, their leadership is sending their top guys uh, now to create new headquarters in Syria that they want to have a base there, like ISIS has the an area, uh, and they're move, working with Al Nusra, which is their affiliate in Syria which is the, also the ones who control areas along the Golan. Um, and they're recruiting from, from there. Then they can recruit Iraqis and Jordanians and Turks and Lebanese, et cetera, for their, for their activities. So, so much uh, uh, is going on, and, and, and the, the, uh, the, the Arab states look at this, and they see that there's no counteraction. You have ISIS. Uh, I talked about 5,000 guys in certain. Now it's estimated it's over 6,000 already. And growing all the time, the the uh, activities in Gaza and Sinai expanded. Certainly, of uh, IS that uh, the Islamic State uh, has expanded its activities uh, in the Sinai and the the um, uh, the cooperation between Israel and, and Egypt is is really critical because they can move against uh, both ways. So we, you know, the Middle East is boiling, and people get used to it, and the newspapers don't cover. Uh, some of their activities uh, on a regular basis, but they're not sitting back and waiting. And, and the Saudis are looking at this and seeing that their future uh, gets jeopardized. And then Iran is very blatant and open 
in in the, their activities to undermine regimes there. Well, and all they hope for is that Israel stays as stable as possible. <laughs> you know what? That Iran passed a bill this week by a, a margin, I think it was like 170-something to 6 or 5, 7, um, that America owes them $50 billion because of our hostile activities, and they cite the, the uh, overthrow of Mossadegh in 53 hmm. and the Iran-Iraq war from 1980 to 88, and uh, some other things, and they they um, and they're demanding now. This is the answer to the lawsuit that made it, um, victims of terror sponsored by Iran, directly or indirectly, uh, that the Supreme Court ruled could collect on the funds that are being uh, held uh, and frozen funds here in the United States of Iran. So this is their their answers to tell the United States owes them fifty billion dollars. They want to end up uh, at the end being ahead of the game. Um, of course, they make a profit. <laughs> exactly. Finally, uh, does your political science expertise tell you that most Jewish Republicans will, in fact, back Donald Trump as we get closer and closer to the election? Well, as you know, I don't, I don't get into the election because I think people should focus on Congress. They should focus on the issues um, as important as the presidential election is. I think that the Republicans are starting to unite behind uh, their candidate. And uh, I think they, anybody but somebody very fringe accepts the fact that, that he will be the candidate. Uh, so while I'm sure there will be defections, as there will be on both sides and always are, uh, yes, I do think that um, more and more will start to unite. I mean, they are already uh, behind uh, uh, the Trump candidacy. The question is, can the Republican Party really unite? Can they, can they go forward and to the convention without the infections without a lot of attention, so we'll see who he appoints as uh, vice president. It's really as important, I think, as, as it is in this case. Uh, and also for, for Secretary Clinton about who she's going to choose. Yeah. Th- those will be two very interesting choices. That's very sure. interesting uh, questions about what, what impact that will have. All right, Malcolm, I thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. My pleasure. Good job. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. The weekly update is what we call it, 740 every Friday morning here at JM in the AM. Arab Shabbos Parshas MR, candle lighting at 751 on this Arab Shabbos. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Don't forget our amazing weekend programming, including Matis Weingast and JM Sunday, this coming Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. It's on our stream at jmtheam.org, and of course you could hear it on the NSN app, uh, plus all of our amazing uh, weekend programming. Naomi Nachman is coming up next at 9 a.m. with the next edition of Table for Two, and uh, followed by the Kedem presentation of our Erev Shabbos music mix. No better way to go into Shabbos than with our Erev Shabbos music mix. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Emor. According to the Chinuch, Parshas Emor contains 63 mitzvos, 24 positive and 39 restrictions. Among the positive mitzvos that we find in the very beginning of the parsha are the laws regarding kuhuna, the special laws regarding the kohen, the kidash to. We are to honor the kohen, but 
it is really dependent on his honoring his position of kahuna. Namely, he must marry the right woman. A Kohen cannot marry a divorcee. A Kohen cannot marry a convert. And the Kohen is not to go to a funeral, not to go to a cemetery, except for the seven exceptions that six blood relatives and his spouse, for these the Torah says that he is to be Metame himself. In this week's parsha of Emor, you have the parshas HaMoadim, the laws of all the mitzvos of the holidays, starting chronologically with Shabbos, Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkos, and you have the mitzvah of Sfiras HaOmer. I'd like to present another aspect of Sfiras HaOmer to you. The first thing is, one must see the Chinuch in Mitzvah 306 Shin Vav, whereby he describes beautifully what this concept of counting is all about, that we are really bridging Pesach and Shavuos, and demonstrating that the purpose of Yitzias Mitzrayim, the very purpose of the Exodus, was to receive the Torah. And the idea is, he cites that in chapter 3 in the book of Shmos, Moshe at the burning bush, God says to Moshe, This shall be the sign that what I have sent you, when you take the nation out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. He says more than that. We know that the world was created for Torah. Torah is the blueprint of the world, and this is our very raison d'etre, our very purpose as a people. And so we count towards Kabbalah's Torah towards the receiving of the Torah. I'd like to suggest a little bit of a different perspective on this count, and that is as follows. We are counting from a people to an individual. Now what does that mean? No less than ten times (coughs) in the early part of Shmos are the Jewish people referred to as Ami, my nation. God says to Paro, send out my people, because should you not send out my people, Esami, then you will pay the price, and ki im eincho mishaleach esami, as you find in chapter 8 in Shmos, I will punish you, as indeed happened. And the verse that we just cited a moment ago, We left Egypt as an Am. Interestingly, at Sinai, we are there at Sinai, yes, 600,000 men, women, children, etc., but as individuals. What does that mean? As the Ramban writes on the opening verse of the Ten Commandments, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, he says, note that the commandments are 
written in the singular as opposed to the plural. Lo tignov, thou shalt not steal. It doesn't say lo tignovu. It doesn't say don't murder. Lo tiratsu, that you shouldn't, in the plural. Rather, each one lo sirtsach in the singular. Why? Because, as the Medrash, <coughs> Yalkut Shimoni, says so powerfully on this verse, each one understood the Ten Commandments differently. Each one understood in accordance with their capabilities. As the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Kol Hashem Bakoach. The voice of God was literally with strength. It doesn't say Bikocho, with the strength of God, but the Medrash understands it, Bikoach shall kol yochid v'yochid, with the understanding of each individual. And so, those who understood, thou shalt not kill, literally, don't take a weapon, and God forbid, kill somebody. And the more learned understood, not to embarrass, not to stand by, and let someone else God forbid, get killed. Many, many different levels and layers to each of the commandments. And the Medrash says, don't be amazed that it was a personal Kabbalah Satorah, because after all, the Mun as well was a personal nourishment. The same Mun came down for all, but it tasted one way for the elderly, tasted a different way for the young. The concept of a personal Kabbalah HaTorah, I'd like to share with you an idea to support this in a very fascinating way regarding Eretz Yisrael. If you bring to the table the book of Yoshua, Perek Tesvav, chapter 15, verse 16, you will see over there that Kolev ben Yefune makes the following announcement. Whoever will conquer the city, Kiryat Sefer, I'll give him my daughter Achsa as a wife. Now, wait a second. We know that the entire conquering of the land of Israel was done miraculously, was done with the help of God. This is the one place that they needed help, and Asniel ben Knaz, we're told, is the one who conquered the city. Now, wait a second. What's happening over here? Why specifically Kiryat Sefer? So there is a Gemara in Temura, 16a, which teaches the following, that when Moshe Rabbeinu died, the Jewish people forgot many different laws. One opinion is 300 laws. And Osniel ben Knaz restored these laws with his Pulpulo Shel Torah, with his understanding of Torah, and is deducing one matter from another. Then, once he was able to restore these laws, says the Sefer Arvi Nachal, by the Levushe Srad, then and only then could he conquer it. Why? Because each part of Eretz Yisrael is connected to another part of Torah. And that's why, now that Asniel ben Knaz brought back these laws, he was able to conquer this part. I'll be honored. Bring a sitter to the table and turn to Musaf that we're going to say, please God, tomorrow. And what do we say? May it be your will. Hashem Our God. 
that you lead us back in joy to our land. Now listen to the next phrase. And plant us within our borders. So we usually understand it to mean within the borders of the land of Israel. North, south, east, west, etc. But now I'd like to suggest, no. There will be, when we come back to Eretz Yisrael, and every Jew is going to have his parcel, his piece of land in Eretz Yisrael, which is exactly what you're praying for in the Musaf tomorrow, understand that the piece of land that you will get, that's yours because that's connected to a certain piece of Torah, and that piece of Torah is yours. When you say in the Musaf as well, please give us our share in your, your Torah, it refers exactly to just that. We have to study and know and observe all of Torah, but there is that special part of each individualized character connected to Torah. And therefore, what a thrill it is that starting with the second day of Pesach, work our, our way to Shavuos, we are having this transition, leaving Egypt as a nation, as a tzibur, as a klau, coming to Sinai as Yechidim, each and every one of us, ready, willing, and able to accept their share in Torah. Shabbat Shalom! To all. Shabbat Shalom, Rabbi Yudin. I have this opportunity to wish a, uh, not only Shabbat Shalom, but to wish a, a Mazal Tov to Rabbi Yudin and the entire congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, as they are celebrating their 50th anniversary. They are celebrating their 50th anniversary, founded in 1966, and in fact, their annual dinner is uh, coming up. And we have with us live via telephone one of the past presidents of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Michael Reinheimer, who is with us. We get to use him as a uh, representative to wish a Mazel Tov to the entire congregation and community. Michael Reinheimer, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nathan. Thank you so much. Do you remember Fairlawn in 1966? Well, I personally don't. Because my wife and I moved to Fallon in 1972. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, but we actually have three of our founding members uh, who are still connected to our shul. Uh, one is Harold Wall, still living in Fallon. Another is Miriam Sprung, living in Florida. And Rhoda Schneider, living in Michigan. So we do still have original... Uh, members of the community, founding members who are still connected to our shore. It's 50 years, and we'll talk, uh, we can talk about, uh, you know, the, the early days uh, in a moment. Uh, first, for our audience, how would you describe Shomre Torah today? In 2016, how would you describe the synagogue and the congregation? Well, I have a, um, a short vignette of something that occurred just a short time ago during the last days of Pesach, which I think really capture the essence and the spirit and what Shomri Torah is all about. We were very fortunate to have two smachot in the shul on the same day. One was the 100th birthday of a shul member, 
and the other was a bris for a child born to one of our young families. The original plan was to have the bris at the young couple's minion and then have Dr. Mortimer Cohn on the exact day of his 100th birthday address the upstairs minion to relate his most interesting life experiences. Rabbi Yudin and Rabbi Markowitz did not like the idea of these two special congregational events taking place apart. They said, we are a shul of both young and not so young, and we will demonstrate how we are one congregation and will celebrate these two smachot together. The entire congregation assembled upstairs after Yom Tov davening, and the 100th birthday senior member of Shomrei Torah was the Sandik and held the newest member of Shomrei Torah in his arms as the bris was performed. <laughs> this is what Shomrei Torah is all about. Very nice. Simply amazing. A man born during World War One and a baby born in the 21st century <laughs> connecting wow. in Shomrei Torah. As Rabbi Yudin says so often, there is no generation gap in our tradition. I want to take this opportunity as we discuss the 50th anniversary of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn to remind everybody that the Shomrei Torah annual dinner is coming up on Sunday, June the 5th. And as Michael Reinheimer alluded to earlier, they will honor the past synagogue presidents, the uh, sisterhood heads, the uh, men's club presidents, uh, all happening on the 5th of June um, in... Uh, uh, this is happening where? At the Congregation Ketter Torah? Torah in Teaneck. Congregation Ketter Torah in Teaneck, New Jersey. Information, you can go to the website, shomre-torah.org, shomre-torah.org. And obviously, whether you can be at the dinner or not, you can donate and uh, and place in your uh, ads in order to help support the cause. So um, tell us about the growth over the years. I know it's difficult to do in a few minutes. It is, after all, 50 years. But I, I would guess that uh, compared to the early uh, 70s or the late 60s, uh, there are so many more services and, um, and activities for the congregation compared to the early days. Oh, oh, absolutely. And Yeshiva University has played a major role in the growth and development of Shomri Torah. And that's not only because Rabbi Yudin is a Rosh Yeshiva at the university and not only because Rabbi Markowitz uh, served in the Kolel Elyon, but they have been with us both at our founding and even just 10 years ago when our explosive growth started. Most of our founding and original members moved to Phelan from Patterson, the Bronx, Brooklyn. These early pioneering families were accustomed to davening in an Orthodox shul. However, upon arriving in Fairlawn, there being no Orthodox shul in Fairlawn, they joined existing synagogues in the community. The children of these families were being educated in yeshivot in Patterson and New York, and it was actually these students 
who urged their parents to form an Orthodox minion in Fairlawn. Rabbi Robert Hurt, director of new communities at YU at the time, was very generous with resources and guidance, and consequently, the Orthodox Congregational Fairlawn was founded in March of 1966. Shomrei Torah was added to the Shul name a few years later. When Rabbi Yudin and Shevi came to Fairlawn in 1969, there were only 17 families. <laughs> Today, in Ainahara, we have 350 families. Wow, very nice. In 2005, a group from Shomrei Torah, led by Rabbi Yudin, began to look toward the future and embarked on a drive to increase the number of young families moving to Fairlawn. They met with Rabbi Kenneth Brander at YU's Center for the Jewish Future, who then visited Fairlawn along with Rabbi Ari Rockoff to carefully study the community. Rabbi Brander determined that Shomrei Torah had all the infrastructure and services anyone could want a beautiful shul, lovely homes, apartments, mikvah, chevra kedisha, nursery, eruv, shiurim, youth, group, youth groups, NCSY, and so much more. There was only one problem. Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn was a well-kept secret. Mm. We needed to market and brand ourselves. If you want to brand yourself, who is the best person to go to? Rabbi Brander, excuse the pun, Yeshiva University. Rabbi Brander suggested that we invite three young couples to move to Fairlawn and subsidize their living expenses at a new Fairlawn apartment complex that had just been built. In turn, these three couples were asked to invite other young couples to spend Shabbat in Fairlawn and introduce to them all that Shomri Torah had to offer. Additionally, these couples would visit other communities like Washington Heights and Teaneck to network with their contemporaries who were making relocation decisions. These young families also were the nucleus of a newly formed Torah Enrichment Center at Shomri Torah, which even further expanded learning opportunities available. The TEC program proved to be a resounding success, far beyond anyone's expectations, with 70 young families moving into our community. To facilitate our newer members meeting and forming friendships with those who have lived in Fairlawn for many years, Rabbi Andrew and Sarah Markowitz have instituted a number of getting to know you Shabbat luncheons. Oh, very nice. Yes. And these have been very successful 
in our younger members, meeting our older members, uh, inviting each other to Shabbat lunch, and really forming a close relationship. Shomrei Torah is celebrating 50 years. Their dinner coming up on Sunday, June the 5th. Michael Reinheimer is with us, past president. They're going to honor the past synagogue presidents, the past sisterhood presidents, and the past men's club presidents on the night of June 5th at Ketter Torah in Teaneck, New Jersey. You can go to shomrei-torah.org, shomrei-torah.org. Go ahead, Michael. Anything else? Sure. Now, I, I did mention all of the activities that we have for our young families. Uh, we have a young couple's minion. We have parent and child learning. But believe me, this is not at the expense of our other members. A newly formed Torah Tuesday learning group for retirees meets three to four mornings each week for high-level Torah study and is attended by some 25 men and women. And yes, Shomri Torah is 50 years old, but we are not resting on our laurels. We continue to add new programs, modify and freshen, and freshen existing programs. We're very proud of our past, very confident in the future, and we know that the next 50 years will be even better than the first. Well, the first 50 have been amazing. Shomrei Torah and Fairlawn celebrating 50 years, Sunday, June 5th. Everybody gets an opportunity to pay tribute. Don't forget, you can go to the uh, website. There are dinner ad blanks there to support Shomrei Torah and to have your voice heard in terms of wishing them a Mazel Tov on the first uh, half a century. And uh, that is Shomrei-Torah.org, Shomrei-Torah.org. Michael Reinheimer, I thank you. Mazal Tov. Yes, thank you. Just one last thing that I, that I wanted to add, if I may. Uh, because this is a very special 50th anniversary dinner, uh, it's not being structured like our past dinners where we would have uh, three honorees. Uh, we analyzed this very, very carefully. We came to the conclusion that all of our past presidents of the shul, the sisterhood, the men's club, have been so vital in the growth and development of our shul that we could not pick individuals uh, that their contribution uh, was the only one that we could recognize. So we're recognizing all of the contributions of our past presidents, and we'd like to welcome back uh, all those that have grown up in Fairlawn within the walls of Shomri Torah. We're asking them to come home, celebrate with us, attend the dinner, place an ad in our ad journal. We'd love to see everyone, and we thank you very much for your time this morning. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom to you as well. Michael Reinheimer, past president, Shomrei Torah. The web address for everybody out there to get dinner information to pay tribute to Shomrei Torah, Rabbi Mrs. Yudin, and all the past presidents of the uh, Shul, the Sisterhood, and the Men's Club, Shomrei-Torah.org. Shomrei-Torah.org. Mazal Tov to the entire congregation and community from all of us here at JM in the AM. More coming up. Candle lighting at 751 on this era of Shabbos. Parshas Emor. Emor at least outside of Israel. I uh, want to remind everybody that at uh, 9 o'clock, it's Naomi Nachman who's going to be on. 
Naomi interviews Simon Jacob today about the upcoming FJB fundraiser, plus master pastry chef Jonathan Eisenstein about his incredible par of desserts, and Fagi Sprecher of Kitchen Clicks going to be on with Ilanit Habit about the summer gadgets and the master slicer. So a full plate, so to speak, on table for two coming up next on jmnam.org on the NSN app. And, of course, you can see it all on the homepage of nachumsiegel.com. Com. All right, plenty more happening here on a Friday. Keep it here at JM in the AM.
Beats closing out the a cappella portion of our broadcast for a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Don't forget amazing programming all through the weekend, including JM Sunday with Matis Weingast coming up Sunday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream right here at jmnam.org and, of course, on the NSN app. Time to say good Shabbos. Journeys at jmnam.
My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsor WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Wraps up a uh, wonderful week here at JM in the AM. Um, Monday morning, we're back. We'll start at 6 a.m. Coming up next, Naomi Nachman, table for two. Simon Jacob among her guests about the big FJB event that's going to be happening. Make sure you stay tuned in, and you can see the entire program right now on the homepage of NachumSiegel.com, in addition to hearing it uh, through all of our audio sources. Um... We're back Monday starting at 6 a.m. And uh, make sure to be tuned into all of our great programming all weekend long, including JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. Sunday morning here at jmnam.org. Have a fabulous Shabbos, great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.